Hello, everyone. I wanted to invite you to the fifth Zoom live for the Genuine Men's Chat. Um, if you've never heard of us before, we're a movement consisting of a show, a podcast, a workshop, and now weekly Zoom lives that express the often unheard honest views of men from various, various backgrounds, cultures, religions, and life experiences. It's also a rare opportunity for men to have a platform to express their views, thoughts, perceptions, and obstacles in life with other men on topics that impact them, their families, their communities, and society as a whole. It's an unfiltered and unadulterated look at what life is like from man's perspective. Now, I'm Reham, I'm your host, and I'm a genuine men's transformational relationship and personal and professional life coach. Um, today, we're excited to have an amazing speaker, um, well-respected in her own um, field, in her own community, and far beyond, might I add, <laughs> throughout Scotland, um, if I dare say UK, we'll find out today. Um, and um, we have the pleasure of having Selma Gardy. She is uh, the founder and CEO of Value Added Parenting. I strongly suggest please get on her Instagram page and, and uh, follow. She's amazing. Her material continues to enrich us from various perspectives of parenting and homeschooling. Selma has culmination, a culmination of 20 years of parenting and educational research and experience. She's twice a graduate um, of Glasgow University with a master's in English literature and a degree in law. She has homeschooled her three children, uh, both in the UK and overseas to university level and is now advising others on all aspects of how this can be achieved, as well as providing support and consultancy to parents looking to establish deep and connected relationships to their children as they raise them in COVID-19 lockdown and far beyond. Welcome, Selma. Thank you, Rianne. Thank you My so pleasure. much for having me today. My pleasure. And we also have Alan, one of our men, who is um, the behind the scenes whiz and also um, a unique perspective on um, men's viewpoints, as well as our entire audience everywhere else. Hi, so everyone. welcome, Selma. Welcome, Alan. And right. the floor is yours. Cool. Okay. So hi, everybody that's, uh, that's tuning in. Um, I wanted to start just by giving you a little bit of background on myself. Thank you, Reham. That was, that was a nice introduction and stuff to give people a little bit more um, background on where I'm coming from so that when I'm speaking, it's, it gives you a little bit more understanding um, from point of view. Um, I was born in South Africa to um, South African parents, but we moved to Scotland when I was three. So Glasgow is home. I consider myself Scottish. My kids are born here. I was married uh, here as well. So um, I went through schooling here, universities we have just mentioned, and I was married in my final year of university to a Canadian um, who also considers himself very Scottish. Um, so, so yeah, this is home. Um, I decided that once I'd had my kids there, I have three of them. I have a girl and two boys. Um, homeschooling was always something that had interested me before I had children. And then after I had them, it interested me some more. Um, so I started doing some research and, 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 and how it all worked and what it was. And, and it's changed quite a bit over the 20 years. You know, my daughter's almost 20 and it's changed quite a lot in terms of um, acceptance and in terms of what's out there for people to use as resources. What's available on the net has just, you know, exploded exponentially over this period of time. So when I started out, there was, there was much less of this that was available. But um, we decided to home ed. My daughter was five I think roughly we decided made made that decision and I had just had my youngest son and so that's kind of when we started been doing it a long time it was never my intention to actually homeschool my kids all the way through to university and it was always kind of um we'll we'll do this year and see how it goes and at the end of every year I consider do I send my kids to school do I do I keep homeschooling and every year we, we chose home ed um, to continue with for all the, the reasons it was bringing goodness into our lives and, and it's never not always been easy it's um, not an easy choice by by any means but it has been worthwhile and it's really worked for our family so I have one at university just now one applying to university and one just starting the exam years so it's a uh, it's a busy time in life still um, I think but I'm at the point where I feel my children need me slightly less and I'm looking for something 
um, avenues, I guess, to pass on some of the insights and the experience and the learnings I've had in the last 20 years or so and hope that others benefit also. And that's what led, led me to starting Value Added Parenting. So yes, like Rehan says, you can find me on Instagram there at the moment. Um, so, so yeah, so this is, this is one of the things we're going to talk about today is um, homeschooling, um, homeschooling during COVID-19. Um, a lot of parents now finding themselves uh, in the interesting position of having their kids at home and not by choice. So um, what I want to start off by saying is actually what you're doing currently is way harder than what homeschoolers do on a regular basis. Um, homeschoolers aren't actually don't actually homeschool in the way that you think or in the way that the name implies and really um, given the unprecedented sort of stresses and strains that everybody is finding themselves under during this, this very surreal time um, it's not normal life for us either so what you're doing is so much harder because you haven't had a choice you um, haven't had time, like most homeschoolers who have chosen to home ed, to research curriculum, think about how you teach, think about how best that your child learns. You haven't had time to decide whether or not you work best with worksheets, whether you work best with um, you know, living books. You haven't had time to, to do any of that. So being thrown in at the deep end is no easy thing in, in any topic, let alone educating your your kids. Um, now, depending on where you are in the world or which school your kids have attended, you have probably either been given a massive load of worksheets to work through, um, or you've been given not much guidance. To, I'm not really sure what everybody's position is, but certainly by people I've been speaking to, there's a lot of pressure parents are feeling to accomplish things. Schools are, you know, sending home online or, you know, packs and stuff that they're making up, which is an amazing thing that teachers are doing in order to try and keep you know the learning ticking over which is a wonderful thing to have done but at the same time I think it's putting a lot of pressure on parents who are not just schooling their children but are also still working from home so um, I think that's that's a very hard thing to do you know homeschoolers don't necessarily work to worksheets we don't certainly don't work to deadlines we certainly don't have work to submit to anybody else apart from mom or dad you know so uh, and we have a rhythm so I'm not surprised people are finding it difficult and wondering um, you know what things they can put in place to make it just a little bit easier so hopefully I'm going to help with some of that today so one thing to mention at this point actually is that uh, a lot of the times parents and other parents that I'm speaking to they're actually feeling primarily scared that their kids will fall behind you know that the kids won't be at the same level as peers when schools finally do go back or that they're not learning enough you know and that's that's a fairly legitimate fear for for a lot of parents but what i would want to say to that is that fear while it's quite a powerful motivator in many circumstances and certainly in this one um, it's not going to be the best place to sit from um, while you're trying to educate your kids at home and it's, if that is your driver for how you're trying to get your kids to learn, then you're going to be implementing things and in ways um, that you're probably going to get a lot of pushback from. So I think we're going to have to address a little bit about why I feel um, you, you don't actually need to feel scared on that score. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about my experience, because I think if I give you that as a, as a background, then you might see where I'm coming from, why I'm not for uh, any moment in time saying that you shouldn't um, worry about your kids' academic um, schooling or keeping up with stuff or even learning anything. What I'm saying is um, when I schooled my kids, um, I didn't grade any work. Nothing was graded until my daughter was about 14 or 15. That was the first time somebody outside my house actually looked at work that she'd, she'd ever done. And I deliberately did that um, because it really tied in with the reasons that we decided to home educate. Um, one of them being that I didn't really want that to be the driver for my kids for their learning. So, um, no Might break. I add just some, something, Salma? That's yeah. really courageous to not use a grading system, to not fall into the pattern of, you know, this is a score that you have to achieve, or these are lists of achievements that you have to achieve in a particular standardized way. 
Yes. Um, can you tell us, can we just dip in just quickly into your mindset around that and sure. why that may be a better option to parent and, uh, sorry, to home um, homeschool kids um, as a parent instead of as a teacher? Yeah, yeah so um, I think it depends on how you view education as a whole. And I, I think it's quite important as a parent to, to think to yourself, what is important to me about my child's education? You know, obviously, when you ask a parent what they want for their child academically, they're going to say, I want success, I want them to do really well, I want them to be happy in what they're doing. But a lot of people are looking for the, the kids to be getting the A grades and for them to be succeeding and, um, you, know, you know, ticking boxes that seem to be the norm for society in general. So when you home educate um, voluntarily, of course, you're going to be swimming upstream. You're going against the norm anyway. It's very much out of the box. And now everybody's in the same boat. So I would suggest if you are feeling a little bit nervous about, you know, achieving targets or having your kids be on, on the same level as other kids, um, and, and that's something that's important to you, I would recommend actually going to the National Curriculum for England. I would recommend going to their site and having a bit of a read on what they consider attainment targets to be. There's a very long version, but there is actually a shortened version. Um, and that's the one you want. Don't get mired in all the, the reams and reams of pages that are explaining it in detail, but there is a shortened version. And so that you can have an idea of where the government expects targets, they expect your children to be achieving at certain stages. And I did do this right at the beginning of our home ed journey, simply because I wasn't confident enough that um, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a trained teacher. So I had no real reference point. So this was it for me. I, um, and that was both a good and a bad thing, not being a teacher, not having a reference point, because it meant that I had expectations for my kids that perhaps um, a teacher in a school who was teaching their particular age group might not have had. And that's been both a good thing and a challenging thing as well. But I think on the whole, it's had its benefits because I've always expected maybe a little bit more than maybe a teacher would otherwise have expected. So yeah, maybe download that, have a bit of a read of the national curriculum to, to see just so that gives you a baseline reference point. Um, but as far as exams and things go, I think people have to remember that tests and SATs and um, tests that they're being given in school aren't really a measure of how truly clever or truly smart your children are. Um, and that there's more to life. I think giving that some deep thought that there's more to how, how resourceful your kids are, how wise they are, how much they apply what they learn. Um, there's a lot more to it than being able to answer tests, questions, and, and there's more to it than being able to give the right answer. Well, right according to who? You know, this is a this is a fair question to ask. And what I've, what I've been finding even from friends and, and other people who have um, kids now at home is that some parents are actually wondering what has been going on in schools. You know? and, and I don't mean to school bash in any way, shape or form. There are some phenomenal teachers out there and some kids very happy with the schooling and parents are very happy. But I'm saying you have a unique opportunity during this time to actually see a little bit more of what goes on in your child's day from a day to day and what kind of education they're receiving, what kind of input they're getting than possibly you've ever had. So I would say just, you know, to, as we go through this, I'm going to explain why you need to just, you know, you can relax. It's all good. It's going to be okay. Because the thing that I discovered, the most important thing that I discovered once my, my eldest hit exam years, and that was a real interesting point for me to have somebody else mark her work and for her to sit exams you know that that have a standardized um, mark scheme um, was that it wasn't actually the content that was the problem um, it was it was how I was had been teaching them to think and actually I actually shouldn't say problem is the wrong thing but that was the thing that stood out is that the important thing was that when it came to exam years, whatever my daughter or my sons needed to learn to pass an exam was covered within a two year span. So for national fives or IGCSEs or whatever set of exams they're sitting, the government outline, outlines a time frame for your children to be taught that information in. So if the content hasn't necessarily been covered before, there may be some gaps here and there. Let me tell you, Google and YouTube and the resources out there can definitely fill in those gaps. Ask can a tutor. 
Um, and it, it really wasn't about the content in the end. It was the fact that we had um, spent lots of time during our homeschooling journey teaching the kids how to think, how to problem solve, how to look up information, how to order information, um, and how to get that down on paper. So there were a couple of very key subjects like English and math that were non-negotiable in our home ed journey and that we kind of really stuck to um, working on fairly diligently throughout um, their, their school time, but a lot of the other learning, which might be termed science or, you know, history, geography was exceptionally fluid and very based on their interests and their passions. So, which is one of the, one of the best things about home ed is that you can follow, follow those rather than a set curriculum that somebody else has decided is knowledge that your child should know. So what I discovered during that time is once she hit these exam years and, um, you know, I say this not, not because, oh, I want to tell you my kids did so fantastically well or anything like that, but I want to reassure you that um, you're, you know, without having sat an exam, without having had, you know, SATs and the 11 year old, whatever tests that they do at that particular stage, without having done any of those attainment tests, uh, my children are, are straight A students and have been in, in pretty much all their subjects and in subjects that I hadn't taught in specific, um, how do I put in specific uh, boxes. So we hadn't actually taught physics. And we hadn't actually taught chemistry or those, but we had taught science and we had learned about the different concepts over the years that um, were applicable to those subjects so that by the time it came for her to sit the exam, the online classes and the tutors that I had for them provided in the workbooks, the curriculum books that we worked out of to pass an exam, um, contained all the academic information that they needed to know in order to pass the exam. What was made the difference between whether they got this um, distinction or an A grade to whether they got a lower grade was the fact that they knew they knew how to order that information and they knew how to look it up when they didn't know. They knew how to time manage. They they knew all these other skills that you have time to practice as a homeschooler that perhaps are not as easily practiced in schools who are very much focused on content. So right now in the position that you're all in at home where you've got these worksheets or you have work or school that you think your child should be doing, I can tell you categorically that your kids are learning all the time. They don't just learn from a worksheet. They don't just learn from a set of um, books that a school is going to give you. And if you are a little bit switched on, a little bit aware and spending that time with your children. And I know it's difficult for parents because a lot of them are working from home, but if you are just a little bit observant about what, what is going on in your home, you will actually see that they are learning all the time. And that I think maybe parents just feel with the kids being at home, they're just, they don't learn anything. I mean, there was a, a time frame of about six months because we chose to move abroad for a period. And that whole experience took about six months from my being able to teach the children in any kind of um, meaningfully structured way that we had been used to because I was selling a flat and I was arranging for um, removal people. There was visa issues. There were health, uh, you know, insurance issues. There were a whole bunch of things that needed to and during that six months while my kids didn't really learn too much about fractions or about how to conjugate a verb, they certainly know a lot about moving country and moving continent. And I personally think that that is invaluable. You know, there's lots of things that they gain from that time and we caught up. Academically, we caught up. You know, don't be so fixated on the academics of it that you can't see the other stuff that's going in that should hopefully help you relax a little bit and not feel you have to be constantly replicating school at home. You absolutely don't. Um, teaching, when you send your kids to school, nine to three, nine to four, whatever it is, there's a lot of time in that day where your children are moving between classes, where your children are on break, where your children are on lunch, you know, where other classes happen, PE and games and all of that kind of thing. So when you school at home, the time that you're schooling is going to be much more concentrated. So don't expect the same nine to three that you're having normally when your kids are out of the house. So that's the first thing I wanted to, to address in terms of, you know, relax. It's all going to be okay. It's just a short period of time, <laughs> even though it doesn't feel like it, I'm sure.
Well, that's great advice because I've been hearing consistent complaints from a lot of parents saying the schools are giving us so much work or giving us no work and we're feeling the pressure yeah. to either entertain the child if there's no work been given um, within a structure that parents may feel is necessary or too much of a structure that the nine to five, uh, nine to three, sorry, has turned into a nine to five or nine mm-hmm. to six. So the kids are worn out and now have gotten, what are we, almost week six now into lockdown, um, you know, or, uh, sorry, lo- week five into lockdown, they're, they're struggling to keep the momentum of learning. Mm-hmm. And it's now become a chore and, and with negativity associated with it, um, or as you said, pushback. So this is great advice. Um, how can parents balance now, I guess, is the key. Um, so, you know, if so you I think one, another thing um, yeah. that gets talked about in homeschooling circles. Now, we've, we've homeschooled from the beginning. So my kids have never been to school. So uh, this is the norm for them. But people who have taken their kids out of the school system to, and proactively decided to home, home ed, we call it a period of de-schooling has to occur. Um, and they, they say, this is what homeschooling circles say, is that for every year your child has been in school, you should take a month off school which isn't going to happen for people suddenly thrown into the middle. But the reason I bring that up is because it's a huge shift in thinking for your child to suddenly go from a scholastic environment to to you wanting them to replicate something similar in an environment which is so synonymous with comfort and relaxation and home and TV and tech and food and snacks and all these other things you want to mix what's gone on in their day to day, suddenly we have to mix it with what's, you know, what I traditionally do at home as a child. And that's a really big mindset shift to have. But there are things that we can put in place um, in order to help that. Um, and so, you know, I was going to talk a little bit about why, what men bring to since it's a genuine men's chat. But before we get there, I think if I talk a little bit about um, what you can put in place first, maybe we can get back to that near near the end but um i would say giving some thought to your as a parent your personality your preferences for how you learn and also your preferences for how you teach because those might not be the same as your child's so you might be someone who is quite extrinsically motivated someone who is externally motivated who likes the idea of worksheets and answer books and knowing you know if you're going to get a nine out of ten or a five out of ten knowing where you have to work having somebody else mark your work you know that kind of very ordered um, question and answer thing you might be a parent who really likes that kind of thing but you might be teaching a child who is really not interested in whether they're going to get seven out of 10, who's not interested in, in, in knowing, um, you know, in doing work from a workbook, but is maybe happier learning in a different way entirely. Um, so obviously this doesn't happen in schools and it's one of the most beautiful things about home ed is that you can really tailor your education to how your child learns best. So I would say as, much more as it will take a little bit more effort on your part um not a huge amount but a little bit more effort if you want to have smooth sailing a little bit further down the line because it doesn't look like this is going to end any time within the next couple of weeks what i would say to you is give some thought to how you like to teach but how your child likes to learn and if you have some awareness around that, we can talk a little bit more about how if you put some prep in place, it's going to make it much easier for you when it comes time to ask your child to do some, some learning at home. So that, that's a big thing. Um, I, I can give you an example of that. Um, uh, also, my husband and I, and I was going to talk about this with regard to you know what men bring to the party. My husband and I had very different ways of approaching um, teaching, although I have done most of the teaching of the kids just by virtue of the fact that he goes out to work and it's quite a, a high pressure job. But um, when he did um, teach the kids various subjects, he brought a very different teaching style to it, which was so nice for them. And it was, uh, it was good for me, obviously, but it was good for them to have experience of somebody else teaching in a different way. And he approached it completely different for me. Um, so I would say it's important to have a chat with your partner or whoever else is a caregiver of your children um, and, and actually have like a 
school meeting you know like a like a teacher a teacher's meeting to actually decide where your strengths lie where your preferences lie who maybe might teach one subject a little better than another and if you're both working how you can divide up that time so that um you know you're not there's not only one parent doing it all if that's at all possible um you know i know my husband is very science science is not my thing i and i always used to worry how was i how on earth was i going to be teaching them science when i didn't you know pursue that myself as a career and i always thought you know that would be something he would be teaching but it did not turn out that way um just because he was so busy with work so i can clearly remember trying to teach my 14 year old um about chemistry and moles calculation of moles there will be some people on here thinking, oh, that really takes me back. And I had absolutely no clue whatsoever what the mole was. I never did, you know, take it that far in school. And I remember spending about three hours sitting online, um, Googling things, trying to understand what the mole was. And while my daughter sat next to me and knitted for three hours, I think she knitted maybe, I don't know, baby booties and a hat and everything else just while she watched me figure out so that I could then teach it to her. But that's you know? magnificent, I must say, because she's learning and adopting, uh, adopting a new skill of her mom learning, her mom investing, yes. her mom teaching her that she doesn't know everything. Correct. And that's such a remarkable you know, gift that we give our children when we teach them that we can learn from them and they can learn from us. Yes. And equally as impactful is she's learning another skill while you're doing the prep work so that she can then learn the, the necessary information in a, in a child-led way is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, accommodating her learning style and your boy's learning styles. Um, and so you're giving her such amazing um, lessons. It's like every day is a school day. I know we hear that all the day, but all the time. But as adults, we we get that. But as children, it's really the fundamental foundation of how they then can perceive the world. And if they have that lens and that mindset of I can learn from anything and anyone, then really they adopt that 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 mindset, and and that's powerful because you don't learn that necessarily in a school setting. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And I think you'll find when we're, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about timings and stuff when we get to that, that's going to be very interesting to when, when you think about what happens in school to what, what happens at home. So as far as time, and exactly, you're right, Rehan, when I, when I, um, when I didn't know something, it was good for them to see that I, I went to look it up and I went to teach it to myself because the next time they didn't know something, they were going to have a model for how that worked. And that, that actually has, has continued right, right the way through their schooling, which is great. And they still do it today, which, is, which is, was the point of the whole thing, I suppose. So anyway, it wasn't my pride at all that was involved in that. It was, it was just wanting to teach her. So yeah, so that was an interesting thing. But I would recommend that you have some kind of loose structure in place, some kind of timetable. I know there will be maybe parents who don't want to have that kind of thing. There will be parents who will be very good about wanting to have every minute mapped out and stuff and i would say either extreme if it works for your family fair enough if it's not working you need a loose structure kids thrive on routine they love to know what's coming next and i'm talking about the littles and the middle years by the time you hit teens it's a little bit of a different ball game we can talk about that but surely yes kids like to have some kind of rhythm to their day and having a timetable written up and stuck up on the fridge or somewhere that they can see so they know how the day is going to run will really make a difference to your day to day so that you can fit in if say there's for example four of you in the family mom and dad maybe have to have to work and have to structure that into the timings of their day and then you have the two kids having some kind of timetable up saying I maybe have back-to-back -back meetings from 9 till 11 dad has back-to-back -back meetings during that time during this time kids this is what you're going to have to work on but you need to be a little bit quiet whatever else it is having the kids with you when you make this structure is actually key because the more you involve them in setting up a timetable and a structure, the more likely they are to cooperate. If you just present it to them as a fait accompli, it, you're going to probably get a little bit of pushback because kids from the time that you have them are looking for a control. 
and it just ramps up the older that they get. So the more you can give them, uh, and I was going to say the illusion of control, but to be fair, when they're very little, it's the illusion of control, but the more that you give them control incrementally as they grow um, and involve them in decisions that you're making as a family, the more likely you are to get everybody on board and fewer um, hiccups along the way, fewer, much less pushback, fewer nagging episodes, you know, less fighting, that kind of thing. And because if they feel that they're involved in setting the timetable, they almost feel a little sense of obligation to go along with it. So definitely include them in that. And time, timing in general is quite an abstract thing for, for little children. You know, when you say half an hour, they're in like their little minds are just like, well, how, how long is that really? So giving them a reference point, like as long as it takes you to watch an episode of Barney or whatever is their program, you have to give them reference points that sit well within the, their little world framework. Um, I think it's good to give because saying this is going to take me two hours, sometimes a child doesn't really have an understanding of what two hours actually means so giving them reference points is a good thing and having a clock they can refer to um also a good idea i would say having that um and it's obviously timing is very different when it comes to and there might be people watching when it comes to high school comes to teenage exam years kids um, and one of the things, and I've done a lot of research and a lot of reading on this, one of the things high school students um, struggle most about that they themselves have said is time management. Because what happens in school is that everything is very structured, there is a timetable, everything goes according to time, but it's managed for the children, it's not managed by the kids. And so a lot of times high school students leave and go to college and university and stuff and find it very difficult um to actually uh time manage for themselves to get assignments in on time to you know structure when to eat when to exercise all that that kind of thing they can feel very overwhelmed because the majority of their scholastic life has been managed for them so i would say now while your kids are at home especially your high school kids this should be a skill that you work on quite a bit um, homeschooled kids get the idea of time management fairly early on, I would say, simply because um, so much of their day is, is structured with um, the rhythm of life and the rhythm of breakfast, lunch, dinner, or what you normally do in a day, snack time and stuff. So they get the idea of time a little bit earlier and how to manage their time. Certainly by the time we lived abroad in a very hot country, um, when my kids were sort of age range 12 down to seven, the kids learned quite quickly that if we got school and, and work and academics done in the morning, then we could go to the pool or we could go to the beach. And so, you know, they really learned the, the benefits of being able to time manage well. So I think that using this time is really key, especially for your high school student. And one of the things I would suggest is if you have, a, you know, a teenager in your house that's hit exam years, is that if you have work to do, um, set up a space where they can work alongside you if they're willing and schedule in coffee breaks like you would normally do at home. And I found this, I've done this a couple of times with my teens and stuff, and it's, it's quite a grown up thing to do. It's what would happen in your workplace. Maybe you'd go over and have a chat to a colleague or whatever, make a coffee, give them a decaf coffee or cappuccino, whatever it is you can whip up at home and, and, and show them, model for them what time management looks like with your own work because now you're working together at home. They can actually see what you do in a day um, and how responsible and how you manage your own life is, I mean, what better example is there for them than you and to see how you manage all of that. Yeah, so I would definitely say this is a good time to, to implement some, some of those things. I know we spoke about how it's like, you know, trying to get kids to do things they generally don't enjoy, you know, there will be some subjects possibly like art and messy time and PE and games time, you know, that you won't have to ask twice for, but maybe some of the subjects they don't enjoy quite so much getting done because if you're, if you're, if it is mostly worksheets and working through stuff that isn't very entertaining, you, it can be difficult to get cooperation. So the thing I would suggest if you feel you have to get through some of these things is to have something to look forward to and, and plan something so if you're saying something like if we can get xyz accomplished then we can watch a movie together or we can go and take a walk um, in the park we can go take your bike out whatever it is they enjoy have something for them to look forward to i think that's key. what's 
the difference between bribery and looking forward to something? Could you shed some light on that one? That's a, that's a tricky one. Yes. Um, so yeah, we spoke a little bit about um, talking about rewards and, and bribe. Is it a good or a bad thing? So if I can just give you an idea, as far as rewards go, um, it's very um, strongly linked to motivation. What motivates your child? Now, in life in general, as a parent, I can say with motivation, there is something called extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. So when I thought about this particular thing when we were raising the kids, and I don't know which parent hasn't tried a reward chart, you know, who even are you if you haven't tried a reward chart or a sweetie chart, whatever, whatever else it is, those kinds of things are useful in the short term. I wouldn't make those your consistent go-to, and this is why. There were some things that I expected of my kids, some standards of behavior, um, some values, um, some ways of living that I just, my husband and I just expected and weren't going to reward for. And this is where it can be quite individual depending on your own family and what values you have in your family, what is important to you um, as a parent or a caregiver, what are the things you want your children to learn. So stuff like making your bed, um, being kind, being truthful, um, working hard, even being determined about something, whatever those are. I did not reward those with my kids with reward charts and with um, token rewards because those were expectations that I had and I wanted them to know that this was the norm. I didn't want them to see it as something extra special that they were doing. Having said that, if you are struggling with behavior um, and are trying to encourage something like maybe no no tantrums, no hitting, you know, brushing your teeth on time, um, coming to the table when you're called, those kinds of things, that little niggly things that are ir irritating you. I would say rewards can work very well to jumpstart behavior, but only to, to jumpstart behavior. If you're going to reward bribery, although really tempting, because it's a quick and easy solution, it's actually not a long-term go-to because what you're doing is actually building a means to an end relationship. It's completely really devoid of any kind of intrinsic motivation whatsoever. And at some, if you use this consistently with a lot of problems in your house, a lot of behaviors that you want to encourage, in the end, your children are only really going to want to do something if there's something in it for them. And then that's a problem. So use, the, use it maybe to jumpstart something. But uh, the reward, I would maybe say, if you're going to reward, I would say reward meaningfully. And what I mean by that is reward, again, besides being linked to motivation, is actually really linked to how you frame achievement. So um, please clarify. Yeah. So when, when I say how to, how to frame achievement, what I mean by that is um, do you teach your children that um, they should achieve for achievement's sake, for its innate goodness? And this is why I think I called my, my company value added parenting because I felt that values were something that are so important in the realm of parenting to be able to inculcate some really important values that are really meaningful to you, be able to pass that onto your children so that they are, are independent and good and kind, empathic members and contributing members of society and community um, are the most important things we should be working on. And I as personally, I see the academics and the success and the trappings and everything else as secondary to raising a, a really good human being. And if that is your focus, you have to think about what do you term as success? What does success mean to you as a parent? What does it mean to you as an individual? And what are you teaching your children about what does success look like? So when I say framing achievement, one of the things that I always said to my children, and I genuinely meant this, of course I'd want my kids to do well and to maybe get straight A's and, and get really great grades and everything reflect the hard work that they put in. But I always say to them that so long as they feel they've given 100% as much as they possibly can and they have to be able to feel good with that, as far as I'm concerned, every day I believe they're giving 100%. Every day. I don't, I don't believe that they're only going to give me 30%. And I don't ask them, have you given 100% today? Because that is something they have to feel about themselves. That shouldn't, yeah. Cool. I was, that's so nice. I, I feel like it shouldn't be, they shouldn't be looking to tick a box for me when it comes to achievement. They should be looking to feel good about it themselves. And the reason this is so important, and I cannot stress this enough if you have little children and you start with achievement here and you frame it in that way, is because by the time you hit teen years, 
how you framed achievement is going to be so important because if you put the emphasis on effort and of giving as much as you can when outside pressures come knocking when other influences come knocking and the pressure of exam years and it's very sad the stuff that you read that happens to teenagers during exam time feeling this immense pressure to to get those a grades to achieve to tick all those boxes knowing that effort is enough knowing that their effort is enough something that they've grown with knowing that their effort is enough for their parent that is huge that's huge today you have so many outside pressures on children today given that we live in this world of instant information everything and connectivity in terms of how everybody else is doing um, you know i think it's very important to give your, your kids a really strong internal sense of self and um, of, of doing enough so yeah. by investing in our children's definition of um major concepts like success like effort like um, you know, competition. Yeah. Not only are we arming them with emotional muscles, like we talk about often in our Zoom calls, um, because we've got the physical muscles that we work out physically, but the emotional muscles that we build that are life skill muscles, um, they can overcome peer pressure, like you're saying, exam and anxiety, people pleasing, especially in the younger kids, if we develop it, um, start from the yeah, external gratification as the only means of gratification and, and recognition and status being the only way that you can prove that who you are is important with those letters after your name becomes null and void. It becomes a no brainer because you've given them the foundation to build on. Yes. And very often, you know, um, because we live in this world of instant everything, most times when you think about parenting strategies and parent like bribery and rewards and stuff, most of us, because we live in such a, a hurried and fast paced world, you're looking for the quick fix. I understand. I get it. You're looking for the thing that's going to get your kids to behave in the way you want them to behave so you can just move on to the next thing. The problem is the really important values, the, real, the things that will stand them in the biggest stead long term to be healthy, emotionally and mentally healthy adults are the things that will take the longest to teach over time. They're the things that require consistency, awareness. They're the things that require patience and effort. And there's no other way that you can, you can put that, you know, you can absolutely, we all need the quick fix sometimes, just don't make it your consistent go-to. And I think it's the same here with bribery and rewards. If you want to talk, use them as, as, as short-term measures, don't use them as your consistent go-to. I guess that's what I would say in this instance, because I know people are under pressure living um, social distancing and having to work at home and, and having to teach your kids and stuff at home. Use these as short-term measures rather than something that you're going to do consistently, you know, going forward. You, you mentioned something really important also, Selma. Not only do we use bribery as a last resort, but we also give our children the opportunity to hear their own voices, to, to, to know themselves yep. enough so that they can be comfortable with themselves. They can be self-confident by their own achievements, by their own efforts, Perfect. because of the effort that they put in, not because of the score or the number that they've achieved. And that is priceless, I think. Yeah. No, 100%, for sure. And by praising effort, I don't know if you've come across the, the concept of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Yeah. So by praising the effort, what you're doing is giving your child free reign to the growth mindset, which is more about look, the way of looking at quote unquote failure or challenges in the sense that they will then begin to approach those things not as a bad or a negative thing, but as an opportunity to grow. Um, and I think there hasn't been enough of that in our school system, certainly, because so much of it is a tick a box approach. Um, so you have time now with your kids at home um, to watch your language, watch how you're framing success, watch how you're framing achievement and watch how you're praising effort. Don't just praise the outcome. So if your child has maybe um, learned to do something that's taken them a little bit of time to master. Let's just pick out um, learning to tie shoelaces. You don't just go, wow, yeah, fantastic, tying shoelaces, that's so great, well done. What you wanna do is praise, gosh, that took you a lot of effort and you stuck with it and you practiced and that's so fantastic. Look what you're able to do with all that effort and practice. So how you speak, the language you use is key. 
you know, even just in trying to get cooperation from your kids, I can give you an example of something to say to them, um, which is quite powerful when you're trying to get them maybe to learn or to come and sit with you and do some sport is to say, are you willing to come and sit with me for a little while just now and let's get some work done? And, and you might be met with a no, no, I'm not willing, which gives you then the opportunity to, to say, well, when would you be willing? What, what would it take for you to be willing? So that you throw it back at them so that you're still looking for agreement but it's a really subtle way of getting them on board so it's not just are you willing but what are you willing to do then if you're not willing to do it now it also makes them active participants in Correct. their own life instead yeah. of always being um needing being and needing someone else to direct to guide or to make decisions for them i like to call that managed autonomy you know that's what you're looking to give them while they're little managed autonomy because you want one to by the time you hit the teen years you're really looking to hand over the reins for all the good stuff and all the effort that you've placed in in the years before this is the time they get to practice as being an adult while still kind of in the sheltered harbor of your home so that you can catch things um, when it doesn't quite go according to plan they need a safe space to fall and you need to be that safe space for sure so ensuring that our homes are the training grounds for their Correct. Family. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah, for sure. But um, is it okay? Is it okay if we talk a little bit about dads and 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 husbands, cares, um, brothers, uncles, whoever the male caregiver is? There, I wanted to tell you about two very interesting studies that I came across that I think might might re resonate with some of the men that are listening in because um i found it very when you asked me to speak on this and told me about the genuine men's chat um it actually led me to having an interview interview my husband which isn't something i've done very often and actually then to have the kids critique the two of us in terms of teaching styles that was so, so revelatory i have to say but um it was so interesting uh, about you know how they viewed the way I taught with how they viewed how they dad and the way I parented comparing to how dad parents, you know, now that they're a little bit older and are capable of critiquing, um, that was certainly very interesting and opened my eyes, but also confirmed a couple of things I think I already picked up along the way and that, you know, men bring a very different energy to the party. They have a very different way of looking at things and stuff. And one of the, the studies that I, I read about and research was so interesting, but it was to do with swimming lessons for babies. And what they discovered was when mom took the baby in for a swimming lesson, she held the baby facing her when she got in the water. And there was lots of eye contact, lots of chat. The child was to feel safe. There was a lot of connection. There was presence, safety. And she taught them the swimming lesson while facing the child. When dad took the baby to the swimming lesson, he held the baby outward. So baby still felt secure still felt held and safe but was more open to being independent more adventuresome i suppose um and when i thought back to how um, my husband and i both took the kids swimming at different times and taught them swimming lessons and stuff like that for different times and, and this was exactly how we approached swimming when i took my kids in the water and taught them to swim it was always swim right you can swim towards me now i'm gonna stand here i'll catch you nothing will happen you know swim towards me there's a lot of chat going lots of connection that way whereas my husband would stand behind them push them off and be beside them the whole time but not reassuringly in front and it wasn't that either one was right or wrong they were different techniques but they encouraged in the child different qualities like there was, you know, the child it provided them with the security and the connection that they maybe needed from, from mom, but they also got the confidence and the adventure and I can try this on my own from dad, you know? And so I thought that was a fabulous um, example of how, um, you know, men bring something a little bit different to, to the way a, a female might do. And, and the other really interesting um, research study I read about was one that was done on gender roles and infant perception. Um, back, they did it back in the 50s and they ran the same experiment now in the in millennium, in the 2000s. And what they found was they gave, um, they showed children a set of chores being done by a stuffed monkey, a plushy monkey, I know, a set of everyday chores. And then they asked them whose job was whose, which one was mom's and which one 
was dads. And it was back in the 50s, the kids all picked the mom stuffed monkey for the washing and the cooking and the putting to sleep and um, the cooking and, and, and all of those hanging the laundry out and all that kind of thing they picked for mom. And for dad, they picked traditional dad things like fixing the car, taking the garbage out, rough and tumble play. When they ran the same um, study, um, just recently, they were, the roles were very interchangeable. There was far more equality. The kids picked um, very similar roles for mom and dad, depending on what went on in the house. There was just one particular thing that the kids picked that was exactly the same in the 50s that they felt was still dad's job today. I don't know. Can you guess? No? Fixing the car. <laughs> which I find really quite funny. I'm thinking, I don't think anybody fixes a car these days. Everybody drives to QuickFit or somewhere to get, but that was the only job that they still picked as traditionally dads. Everything else from the cooking to the laundry to the, even the rough and tumble play and stuff where the roles were very interchangeable. The kids couldn't put one or the other. It was just according to what went on in their, in their own house. So I think a lot of societal norms and societal pressures have changed very much in the last 20 years. That's my, my humble opinion. Um, so it's worth it, you know, thinking a little bit about, you know, your own sets of values, reflecting a little bit on the things that are important to you as a dad, as an uncle, as a brother, and then speaking to your partner and finding out what things and values and stuff, you know, fit with them. Because when you have that awareness, you're, you're probably able to parent from a, a much greater perspective that's going to be far more positive for your child. So yeah, no, that was, those were two that really stuck with me. And I thought, okay, what it's really saying is what works best. There's no right or wrong. It's what works best for your family dynamic. And I think that's important too, because we, we do this thing in society where we compare a lot with how another family is doing or another dad or another mom. And really, you really just need the only people you need to be measuring up against are yourselves. And I think that's, that's something we need to get back to. I couldn't agree more as competition is healthy when it's in a structured environment, but when it's um, invited into the home in a way that it pits one parent against the other or one child against the other against sibling rivalry happens, you know, an unnecessary other ball game yeah yeah unnecessary um competitive edge gets created against the people that are as we said before the training ground for the for the children for the family um to to build and grow it gets lost and even could be sabotaged so then children don't have that safe place to fall back on to count on to to be at peace in to be able to know that outside you know it's okay to to do what i need to do but at home i could just be me um wholeheartedly without judgment without you know and maybe that's too much to ask right now given the circumstances however what's to keep us from starting now yes and make i think it's you have the opportunity i always say when people say well you know, what's the, the, the biggest thing? Or if your kids are well-behaved or have nice things people say about my kids. I said, well, actually, I've had eight extra hours in the day to work on all the things that are important to me as a parent that I want to pass on to them as, uh, you know, my children. I've That eight extra hours in the day that I have while challenging, I don't deny it hasn't been challenging at times for sure, um, have made a real difference to how I've parented for sure, you know, and, and what my kids have been able to take from me during, the, during the, the, that extra time that they have haven't been at school and now people are at home with their kids please don't get me wrong I quite understand that there is a lot of pressure and it can be very difficult to have your kids around when you're trying to work at the same time and trying to juggle everything you know at once so I really wanted to the big thing I wanted to impart that you really cut yourself some slack you know nothing terrible will happen to your children's education if for three states three days in a row straight you end up watching movies I have a really great post up actually if you have a chance to go to my Instagram on the power of movies and I've got a whole list of movies and values that you can teach from those movies so if if that's all that you're managing for the rest of this week that can still be what we like to say you know the the very cliche teachable moment there's a lot you can I'm not anti-tv or or you know documentary watching whatever in the slightest I actually think kids can learn an awful lot from from medium like that for sure it's all relative in the sense that (laughs) what 
what can we teach our kids to take from any medium Correct. so that they begin to filter yeah. in a way that is best for them, not dictated only by us, yeah. but also incorporating them. And I guess the, 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 the message here is buy-in to get the kids to buy in, to participate in the discussions, to have them in the meetings, to have them in the planning sessions so that they're invested. And most importantly, they're learning those life skills that they couldn't possibly learn in other ways. And, um, the, you know, there's, there's so much that we could talk about Salma. Um, and we could do this for so long. I, I didn't touch on, on how to, how to be seen as a teacher, not a parent. Can I just give you three tips? I know we're Absolutely. reading it. And then we have a question and then we're going to wrap up. Yes. Please. Okay. Okay, cool. So very quickly, if you're having trouble and it's normal for your kids not to see you as teacher, just use parent, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Cause that really will take a little, a long time of, of teaching for that to happen, but perhaps think about clothes and have your kids wear a specific set of clothes when it's school time keep that outfit just just for those times or have a top or a bracelet or something that you wear when you're in teacher mode so that kids have some kind of distinction to make have your teaching space um pretty much regular you know be be okay for changing it up just for fun's sake but you know make it a regular space that when we're in the space this is the learning is happening now um, so those were three, three things I wanted to say that you could maybe give a go with parents who are struggling to get the kids, you know, making that particular distinction. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is again, up on my Instagram, I have a couple of posts called freestyle school, um, with ideas for how to use pizzas to actually teach your kids uh, math, English, history, geography, and science. There's a post up on that where you have a big pizza party at the end, just obviously socially distancing, so just with your family. Um, and there's also something called a lap book. It's making it, it's very easy to do at home. I have a video up on that post. So have, they're both called Freestyle School. Uh, and one last tip, because I did want to give you guys some tips. If you have reluctant writers, um, although kids who might enjoy stories but reluctant to write, my family started something which which did really well in a post on Instagram in that we started a WhatsApp. Um, and most kids have phones, or if not, it doesn't matter. The kids can have access to mom and dad and go back and forth. We started a story, one sentence each, on a WhatsApp chat. And there, there had to be some ground rules. My husband started it with them introducing characters. And then we each got to take turns in writing. And this went back and forward for about two. It's, it's a really good one. And it, actually, socially distancing, it's a great idea to do with family who are, who are far away or you cannot see. You can just start a WhatsApp story chat with them and it's set some ground rules. It's one sentence at a time only. The kids got really good at using semicolons. I have to say they really understand so they can get the longest sentence possible to get their ideas out. But that's a great one if you have reluctant writers to actually use tech and get involved that way. Thank you so much, Selma. That was magnificent. Okay. I'm going to so take up that um, yeah, one, have that. Have a go. Uh, yeah. one, one sentence story. Um, that's going to be so exciting to that's do. One. Um, Alan, you had a question. Yes. So, Sama, uh, awesome advice. Uh, I'm definitely going to use some when I get my own kids. I don't have kids yet. <laughs> but, but there's a couple of things. Um, I observe other people, how they, are, you know, they interact with their kids. Uh, I've got a couple of cousins that are uh, little kids, and I look at them, and I see my um, family members you know, teaching them at, uh, at home. Um, homeschooling and also I considered whenever considering my own future I was always thinking I was always a big fan of homeschooling in general and I and I wanted to see how it would be like so I'm definitely going to take some of your advice and and I love your it's it seems like balance is key um, I yeah. I was wondering though if you had kids with different age brackets and different interests that have a completely different way how they uh, take information in how would you split that learning experience or that day so you have enough time for each one of them because i don't think you would be able to do school time for both of them at the same time excellent question alan yeah and it is a brilliant question and it's the one thing homeschoolers talk about quite often it's juggling different age groups different interests uh, and how to do it all at the same time well there are techniques and 
and various um, educational techniques you can use so you can teach multiple ages at the same time and um, one of the things I would say is I also have, because I have three kids, we homeschooled together at a kitchen table all the time. I have two, well, I have one who's very definitely an extrovert, one who's definitely an introvert, and one who I call the ambivert. She can do a bit of both there. But it was, and they all had very different interests, completely different from one another. So um, it was a juggle, but the key thing here is to have a timetable, to be organized, to be structured, to know your children very well. So once you know so-and-so learns better in this, so-and-so learns better this way and stuff, when you, if you start young, it's easier to get into um, habits that they all become used to and all become a little better with. And then you can tailor time to have one-on-one -on -one with each child. So for example, um, there was, there's a two and a half years between each of my kids. My eldest child is quite mature, and when she was young too, she was quite mature. So once she got in the habit of working, there were some things she could do on her own. For example, math, because the curriculum I used was to watch a video and then work through some problems on her own. So while that was going on, that gave me the opportunity to sit with my younger two, who were close enough in age that I could teach a subject like history at the same time that she was doing math, a subject like history or English, or even science, which required more interaction on my part, meant that um, I could sit with them. But the work that I expected them to produce, be it coloring in, be it labeling, be it drawing a plant, whatever it is, the level I would expect from my youngest child would be very different from the one I would expect for one, two years older. So they could accomplish the material together, but I would be expecting different amounts of work back and even once they started writing I found that my middle child caught up to my eldest child and the younger child required to be able to do stuff on his own whereas I could teach subjects to my older two at the same time and then again expect different levels of work coming back to me from both of them so as topic like history I could read about um, various things in ancient history to the two of them. I would expect my daughter maybe to write me four paragraphs on what we had learned and I would expect my son, my middle son to maybe write me two. So the content could be the same because like I said in the beginning, content is not really your issue because stuff like history, stuff like stories, all that kind of thing, kids love that kind of thing. They actually, they're born innately curious. You know, if you're giving them subjects that they can all be interesting, you have to give a little bit to each kid. Someone's preferences are Romans and someone's preferences are animals. You have to try and work both of these into your week. And they have to know that sometimes we pay attention to somebody else's interest and we show respect for that. And sometimes we pay attention to the others and we show interest and respect to that. That's a skill in itself. So the key thing is to be organized, to know your kids well, um, and to be able to know that I can teach certain subjects with two age groups and certain subjects require me to do one-on-one -on -one and stuff in, in order to explain there. So there's techniques and ideas. The, the thing I said to you about teaching pizza, using pizza to teach geography, history, math, that kind of, if you go and have a look at that on my, on my page, that's called a unit study. A lot of homeschoolers use this when they have multiple age children because again you can teach the same concepts but expect a, a different level of, um, of feedback from your kids so that's quite a neat way to be able to do that same thing with the, with the lap booking that I talked about so that was a great question and yes it takes it takes practice awesome. <laughs> much better much. at it now 20 years later than I was in the beginning so <laughs> yeah thank you thank you that really is a perfect perfect answer Pleasure. thank you Alan for that wonderful question and thank you Salma for such an amazing yeah, session thanks for having I me. would love to invite you to do this more often with us maybe on a consistent basis um so viewers tell us if this is what you're looking for and if you want more of Salma we'll we'll bring her on board um I know that I can't get enough um we it, it, it's my pleasure honestly um we're all in it together and every day is a school day that's yeah. my my motto um today um and probably for the rest of the year um <laughs> we'll be adding um Selma's Instagram link uh to our post um so don't hesitate to check out valued added parenting uh on Instagram 
Could I say very quickly, yes. Raham, that um, I did hold some, some home ed workshops for people who were genuinely thinking of starting home ed a few years back. I haven't done one for a little while, but perhaps if people could, if you're interested in that or knowing more about home ed, if your experience has been quite good so far in COVID and you're thinking you might give this, a, or maybe you're just thinking, let's school start, let's all go back to normal. But if you are, perhaps just send me a direct email. Uh, Raham can put up um, contact details or through Instagram and, and I can see about setting something up like that. Excellent. I personally attended it and it was fantastic. So I would definitely recommend it. Thank to everybody. You. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I hate to say goodbye, but um, time has um, kind of um, sped up on us quickly. Uh, join us for our next episode of the Genuine Men's um, uh, show, uh, Genuine, Genuine Men's Chat show that will be out next month. Um, I believe the topic is faith. And um, being that we've just had Easter, Passover's just happened and Ramadan's about to start. Um, so we'll be covering um, the topic of faith and religion. Um, check out our Genuine Men's Chat podcast and our continuously Zoom lives. Share, like, follow on YouTube. Um, we have all of our material, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Don't forget to join the Genuine Men's Chat Facebook group. We have one for men and we've got one for women. So it's called the Genuine Men's Chat and Genuine Women's Chat to support the men that are going through this and the women that are supporting the men going through this. Um, our motto for 2020 is many men, many conversations. Have you taken your seat at the table yet? See you next time.